0: everyone, nice to see you. glad you 're with us uh, we 're working our way through this series called it 's just a phase we 've been looking at the different stages and phases of life we 've looked at a lot of different phases already, everything from we started with old age we 've looked at um, a motherhood along the way we 've looked at young adults and uh, little kids and adolescents. And this week, uh, we just want to allow the same scripture that has been guiding us every week to kind of frame up our thoughts. Psalm 90 says, God, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need some more wisdom on all of life's stage, how to think about life at every stage. We need to learn how to count our days so we know how much our days really count. And uh, today we find ourselves looking at a wide swath of a phase called the middle years, middle age, middle age, somewhere in our 40s, maybe 30s, 40s, somewhere in our 60s, maybe, I don't know. It's a long swath. If you don't know if you're in middle age, if you've ever found yourself lying about or denying your age, you're probably there. You're probably there. Uh, Bob Hope says middle age is when, when you, you start showing your middle and your age. And that, that's a pretty good clue right there. Everything starts to kind of wear out and fall out and thin out and slide down and spread out and all, all that. Middle age is when women stop worrying about being pregnant for the most part and most men start looking like they are. Yeah, that's middle age right there for you, for sure. When you're sitting at home on a Saturday night and the phone rings and you start hoping it's not for you, that's you've arrived in in, uh, in that era of, of middle age, the good news is, of course, midlife means well, the glasses have full. Okay, and of course, the bad news is your teeth will soon be floating in it. So that's that's middle age for you. You're kind of stuck in that that middle middle thing. Uh, someone said life is like a, a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes and that's how you you feel in middle age like where on earth like the bottom of a bag of chips when all of a sudden you get the whole bag and there's a little bit and it just you just dump the whole thing how do the years go by and that's how you begin to think in middle years so pretty much have to acknowledge i'm probably in that gap somewhere just arrived but i'm i'm in there somewhere you know um I, i try to play a lot of tennis and uh I had to sit out for a while because I slipped a while back, uh, wearing some flip-flops and slipped on some slippery concrete, went down, cracked my knee, I actually broke, cracked a bone in my knee, so I had to sit out for four weeks, so I'm hobbling around four weeks, I get to the four-week mark on the day, I'm watching my calendar, and of course it's four weeks, I'm like, I'm good, so I went out this week and um, strained my Achilles heel the first day back out, so it's like, yeah, that's kind of ironic, let's preach a sermon on middle age. The interesting thing I learned as I did some research on this whole thing is that the middle years, everywhere you go throughout history and also, particularly now, all over the world, are often regarded as the lowest satisfaction era of a person's life. Did you know that? For some reason, we seem to think it's just awesome being younger, but right up here, you know, these are the 20s. You know, down through here, and here's the 30s. And when you get down here into the 40s, right down there is where, where everyone reports the lowest level of life satisfaction. In fact, 46 is the like the the pit. If you're 46, just you can just go to sleep, lie down right now. There's there's nothing for you. Um, it, it declines in the middle years. Uh, I, I, it's interesting to think about why. A lot of the reason is basically because in the middle years, many people begin to feel like you know what. Um, It's depressing to think back to what I used to look like, feel like, and be able to do in all the fresh dreams, and really it's depressing to look ahead because I know old age is screaming around the corner, and of course life's over in old age, we think, and so did you know that antidepressants actually increase more in the middle years than any other era of life? and so we react to that somehow and this is of course the classic I'm going to go buy a Harley or a sports car or get a facelift or a tummy tuck or wear some more gold chains or get a tattoo or do something stupid I'm going to go have an affair I'm going to uh, I'm going to somehow this business that I built up I make some stupid mistake or um, you know a a pastor that that builds you know an effort to to lead a church or whatever you know makes some terrible idiotic mistake or something like that we do things that were once considered unthinkable Because we're stuck in this doldrums of the middle years, we feel trapped sometimes in our marriages. We suffer our first big physical breakdown. We watch our parents sometimes, um, you know, suffer their last one. Uh, Suicide rates are highest in the middle years, uh, other than some of the the teen year epidemic we're seeing. Um, We're living long enough that our kids aren't cute anymore. And, and, and they're struggling to make it their own, and yet we're sandwiched on the other end, often taking care of parents who are sometimes needing our help as well. It's a very disorienting time for a lot of people. You're, not, you're sort of stuck in the land between. You haven't fully arrived, really. It's like adolescence. Adolescent puberty remember that oh what a blast you know childhood kicks you out and you're like not a kid anymore But yet you're a long way off from adulthood And so where are you and middle age can feel like that I'm not a young virile person enjoying my happy times But neither have I sort of just been content to sit and become an old person either and it's this it's like it's like adolescence with some of the same fears and insecurities Uh, I'm not ready to be old I really can't be young Uh, 1965 Canadian psychologist Elliot Jacques is the one who created the term midlife crisis crisis because we begin to look mortality in the eye and it just it's like and and you can glance at it when you're younger most of the time here you don't really think you know mortality is even a factor The way a young person lives, they don't think they're ever going to die, they just... But you you, you get a glance at it, but then you get to middle age and it starts staring at you, and you move and it just kind of keeps following you around. Like one of those kind of socially inept people at a party that just doesn't know how to leave you alone. And mortality is like that. But it's not all gloom and doom. um, Because the cool paradox about midlife is that it's actually an opportunity Because as it turns out, opening our eyes to mortality is actually one of the keys to beginning your life. It's how you begin living, actually, more fully. And so I don't really care if you're middle-aged or not. There's a lot of good stuff I want to share with you today. Um, I think it might be especially appropriate for middle-year people. But there's a lot of old people who kind of missed some of this. And there's a lot of younger people who would be wise to act beyond their years. Lafferty says that midlife is an opportunity to leave some of our youthful folly behind, look back at the first chunk of life, 30, 40 years or so, and refocus. If you're taking notes, I'd write that word. Refocus on what matters most for the next era of my life, however long you have. You you prepare for your second act. You prepare for what's next or your second win. Midlife is not a stopping point. It's a strategic point. To refocus on what truly matters. Don't panic. Prepare. In other words, the crisis is real, but the crisis can be a catalyst. A catalyst, of course, ignites some new activity, some new reaction. So the crisis, embrace the crisis. Stare mortality in the eye. Deal with it. Yes, you're, you're getting older. And let that, in fact, be the very catalytic force that can propel you into a life of greater meaning and mission than you could ever achieve while you're just busy enjoying what life is like in the first half of life. It's a time to see clearly. Maybe for the first time, what truly matters in life. And then decide that that's what your life is going to be about To refocus from some of the frenetic outward activity of the early years. To get more introspective. To think about, you know, life's Got some bigger realities. So the midlife crisis comes. And and it comes because, you know, your grandparents are gone and you realize that. And your parents may be gone or aging and, you know, you're not far behind. Your own dreams are graying as much as your hair. Life feels shorter than ever, right? So let that crisis be a catalyst. As one author says, the rose-colored glasses we wore when we were young get all fogged up and cracked. It's true, isn't it? Now it can just make you cynical, or it can just make you more realistic. And midlife is when you just take off those rose-colored glasses and squint straight on into the glare of reality, and you realize that life is pretty hard and awkward, and a clumsy lurch through pain and mess. And the pleasures that you sought out and thought were so important, and the really the whole the whole stuff is really just the spice of life, not the main course. Let the crisis be a catalyst for that kind of thinking. There was a guy I want to tell you about. He took off the rose-colored glasses of youth. And uh, he looked at the grim realities of life. And his sober reflections are written down and captured for us in the Bible. And it's essential reading for everyone, especially midlifers. Okay? Especially midlifers. He begins to ask... As he looks at all of the achievement and the career and the things you build and amass and the family and the home and all the things that are about the first half of life, he begins to ask hard questions like, wait a second, he takes off his rose-colored glasses and he looks at it and says, what's it all about? What's it really for? What does it amount to? And you know his answer. About all the things we clamor and cling and cry for, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 says, meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything. It's meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And his answer is a big fat nothing. It's a wise teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, the guy who did it all. He pursued passion after passion, but in the end he comes up empty. He had money, he had fame, he had career, he had success, he had power, he had women. He had everything that most people spend the whole first half of their life and sometimes their whole life chasing after. And he basically says, let me spare you the trouble. I've been down that road and it doesn't lead anywhere you really want to go. Money isn't enough, sex isn't fulfilling, entertainment isn't impressive enough, music isn't interesting enough, food isn't satisfying enough, people aren't reliable enough, buildings aren't important or or meaningful enough, nothing under the sun is really enough. So here's an old guy. This is an old guy. Uh, 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 And he's, he's had his crisis and it has been a catalyst and now he's offering it. To you and to me so we can see today what we would otherwise only discover for ourselves as a rude awakening of our own at the end of our lives. He's sharing this wisdom so we can choose a more satisfying path. That's a catalyst. He's giving you spiritual LASIK surgery so you can take off the rose-colored glasses and see clearly through the midlife blur our way past the trivial pursuits and the selfish ambitions and the destructive habits of life. Here's a guy who's helping us see what matters most. Take it from me. He says, I've been there. I've chased after everything. Everyone holds up as success. And I can absolutely tell you most of what you think matters doesn't. That's a real kick in the shorts. This is a real pick-me-up so far, isn't it? I mean, the midlifers are like, what? You mean I'm busting my hump every day for something that's going to be meaningless? Well, we don't believe that, so we just keep, keep at it. That just means we haven't really taken off our glasses yet. And when he says, by the way, uh, meaningless, it's actually a word in the Hebrew that, that means kind of like a vapor, like a, like a little puff of smoke, a very lightweight, in sub, not in something that without substance, a, a wisp of uh, uh, everything under the sun that people throw their lives into goes up in a puff of smoke. One writer actually crassly translated that. It's flatulence. There you go. How's that for a, a life achievement? In other words, you work your buns off to achieve and make a name for yourself, get a success, you know, get some fame, security, a home and identity and all that, and it's just a fart and a breeze. <laughs> so go ahead, you know, fill your house and your garage but if your soul's empty, it's just a fart in the breeze. Get another promotion. Get another degree. Get another dollar. Get another toy. Go, go ahead. Get another iPhone. Get another vacation. Get another spouse. Get another career. Get, all, get everything you think you, you need. But here's the richest, wisest, most powerful man in the world who says, that's all it is. Because, he says, here's why. Ecclesiastes 3, he says, a couple chapters later, he says, Because God made you, and all that stuff under the sun, you've got to get above the sun to where God has put eternity in the hearts of every one of us. And until our lives begin to actually connect with that eternity, with God and His purposes, our hearts will be restless. So the crisis you're feeling is simply just growing up. Let it be a catalyst to lead you to the eternity the God who made you, that's put in your heart to begin with, that you just numb and dull out as you turn up the noise in the first part of your life. It's a gift. It's good news. When you get to middle age, midlife, and you start to sense there's got to be something more. That's a gift. You're on to something. Because, yeah, we dream of a life that's different than the one we have we imagine what it would be like to be in a different home have a different career did i choose the wrong path what if i had a real husband what if i got married but just let all those crises be a catalyst for the rest of your life an opportunity to refocus and refill your tanks because The truth is, for those who find that eternity set in their hearts through a relationship with Christ, what's happening all over and what really is the case even statistically now, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. And this is what's happening in a lot of people's life. The crisis becomes a gateway to catch your second wind and start strong in the second half. And this is what a lot of people are reporting. As Richard Rohr says, there are two halves of life, two tasks in life. The first half, you just build a container, an identity, a home, relationships, finances, and all that. But the second half is where you find the contents that the container is meant to hold. And then you you fill it. So the... The rest of your life can be the best of your life. It doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. It doesn't mean you may have a long life. It just means that you're actually going to know what matters. So let me, let me help you make a good second half of your life. Let me give you a few ideas. If you're a young person thinking about you know, the fact that maybe one day you'll get older, or you're already a midlifer, or you're someone who missed your midlife. Let me give you a few things to think about. Number one, I would say we need to reframe the American dream. We need to reframe the whole, you know, the American dream, right? It's like, you know, you just put in your time and you do your hard work and you get this beautiful success. It's a script. The American dream is like a script that everyone gets handed. And we don't, we, don't, we just say, okay, and we just think it's a drama. I'm supposed to act out my part according to the script. And you know how it goes. You, you, you go through, you do well, you work hard, you run the rat race, you make some money, you get a home, maybe you get married, maybe you don't, but you, you know, you go around, you get a house, and you join a few things, whatever. And it's this whole arc of your life that leads down to the big R. The big R is, of course, retirement, where you just sort of cross the finish line, and then you're done. You're not productive anymore, you just wind down, wither up, peter out, pack it in, go out to pasture, play golf, head to the diner at five, and that's the American dream. And, of course, the problem with that is that at just the moment that you finally actually know something, and at the moment that you are finally actually ready to to contribute something, you pull back. Listen, God has created you to use your entire life, not just the ark that ends at retirement. Extend the ark. Now, you just extend it and use it all for Him and His glory. You're responsible for what you do with your life not just your productive working years. And part of the problem with the American dream is we give some of our best productivity to things that don't matter. And so the more we can give of ourselves to meaningful work and work that connects to God's work, the more meaning we'll have in life. If you're young, you're on a mission. If you're middle-aged, you're on a mission. If you're old, you're on a mission. Moses, when, when, when God got a hold of him, he was old already. He was He was in retirement. Joshua was about 60, right? In the end of the middle years, he was kind of starting to figure out if, you know, if his, how his 401K looked when God tapped him and said, I got a job for you. And he ended up leading the children of Israel in an important moment. Abraham, he was 75 years old, probably retired, comes home from the Senior Citizen Center one day and God taps him on the shoulder. Genesis chapter twelve chapter 12 one says this the Lord said to Abraham hey leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family all the stuff you've built up and worked so hard to sit and enjoy now get out of the rocker he says and go to the land I will show you 75 years old I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to start over because there's see I'm about to do a new thing God says I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing Wait a second, that's not the American dream. I said, I'm supposed to be blessed now? I'm 75. Are you prepared to hear the same message that Abraham heard? Where in your comfortable hammock moment, God says, let's go. I'm about to do a new thing through you. Well, where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. What am I going to do? You'll see it unfold through your life the main thing is I want you to be a blessing this is what it feels like when Jesus calls you at whatever age so Abraham the old duffer goes and God uses him in a powerful way and if Jesus calls you I can tell you that's how it will feel let's go so don't think of the American dream as leading to this moment where your success rewards you with inactivity I give out a lot of books, and one of the books I love to give out is Bob Buford's Half Time. I've given out dozens and dozens of these books. It's especially good for those who are working career people, especially if you're approaching midlife and wondering what's next for you. It kind of helps you lift your sights beyond the daily grind, if you will, past just doing a job to how do you do life. You know, it says that there are three fears that everybody has. You know what the top three fears are? especially as you approach retirement years, fear of death, fear of dying, fear of running out of money, you know what the number one is? Fear of an insignificant life. Fear that the whole thing I did would be just meaningless. So we want to, all of us, I think, live our lives in such a way that When it's your time to go, you look back and you don't have regrets. That your life wasn't just successful by some worldly standards. Because all that goes away. But you want to know that your life mattered because it was caught up in the purpose that God had for your life. And that's really the only way that it matters. So here's a million dollar question for each of us. Do you want your life to be about success? Or significance, success as it's handed to us and defined for us and which may feel good in the early years of our life, or significance, which taps in to something much more deep, doesn't it? In the 40s and 50s and 60s, I want to remind you that you're approaching a sort of opportunity, a sort of transitional point in your life that you have Very few times in your life. It's a transitional inflection point where you can actually redirect your life path. Think of how few times in your life you can actually do that. I mean, you haven't had that opportunity in a long, long time. These pivotal moments. When you're young, you feel like you have all these options before you and you can do whatever you want to do. But then you get locked in and life gets busy and it gets in the way and it just kind of drags you along, fulfilling the things uh, based on the choices you previously made. But then you have occasionally these moments where you can change slightly or even radically your life trajectory. When your kids all finally go to school. Remember moms, that one? Oh my gosh, it's like a different moment in life. Or if your kids leave the house ever, or get married, or something like that. Or when you hit retirement, it's another one. Because you have more freedom, but you actually have some good health, perhaps, I hope, and you maybe have some time, so don't miss it. Don't miss that phase to move beyond success to significance. So, midlife, not a time to to sit in the doldrums, but see the doldrums as a doorway to, to refocus your life, take off the rose colored glasses, and reframe the American dream. The other thing I would say is let it be a time to refuel your passion. To refuel your passion. Listen to this counsel from old guy Paul, who's like an old age guy talking to Timothy, who's probably on the front edge of middle years, not even there yet. Probably he loves him like a son. It's how I feel toward you today. When I when I look at first uh, excuse me Second Timothy, uh, what is it? Second Timothy one verse six. Um, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Do you know that? I don't care who you are, how old you are. It's there already. It's within you now. It, It may have been so cluttered over, or it may be just a dying ember, because you've been so busy with life and the success path that everyone tells you you're to be on, and what you're doing with your life may not even be connected to your real passion. So refuel the passion, and midlife is the perfect time to do it. This guy Bob Buford I told you about, he, 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 he lives his life at full flame now. For years he had his real passion just burning like an almost uh, dormant ember in his life. He says God gives everyone so much opportunity for blessing, but, but we just don't fan it into flame enough. So he's got, he built this very successful business and he built this huge company, but then he found it just, he's kind of on cruise control with it. And he actually got, you know, after the initial exhilaration wears off, he got kind of bored with it. He says, I really wasn't even living my own life. I was trying to make my mark and my money, but I didn't have any control over what was was happening. He said, I felt like a fighter pilot. I'm in this cockpit of this little plane honed in on the target and everywhere the target moves i move and that's exactly where i went and then i stopped to ask i said wait a second who says that's the right target maybe i need a different target maybe i need to to go where i really want to go with my life rather than just the career says this the career says that the career says that what's god calling me to do with my life maybe i need a new target so his crisis became a catalyst and he he planned for himself a whole different kind of second half. He calls that, that interlude halftime, where you really get to the middle point of the game and you make some adjustments and you go out and you, you change the game plan in the second half. Here's a guy who had all kinds of world, wild success, businessman, deep faith, family, all that, but he realized something was missing and he needed to alter the game plan. And it allowed him to fan into flame the clear purpose that that he really felt like was so important in his life. And he went on to use some of his contacts and to to start a leadership institute that I've benefited from tremendously as a pastor because he moved from success to significance. And you can do that too. The way you do it is you, just, you, you can't decide when you die, but you can have a hand in writing your own epitaph right now. Write your own epitaph, the words that will be said about what really mattered to you. Well, let it be written about you that something about your God-encoded passion is actually what your life was about, that it will lead you to be a blessing and move beyond the path of success to significance. Carl Eller is a Minnesota Viking that I'm sure a lot of you know and love. He hasn't played for a few years, but there's a massive moment in every uh, Minnesota Vikings uh, lore that they know about in 1973 in the locker room. I'm sure a lot of you remember. It was, a, it was an important moment because the Vikes were actually good in those days. We had won uh, 10 straight divisional titles, been to the NFC Championship game six times. We'd been to the Super Bowl four times. Of course, it's not important whether you win, it's whether you go. <laughs> But they were playing the, uh, the Russian Redskins, and they had just played a lackluster first half of the game. And um, very flat, trailing by a, a significant lead, had only scored three points. They just like, dragged themselves into the locker room like they're in a daze, just like, you know, they couldn't snap out of it. And history was made at halftime because the quiet, soft-spoken, understated coach, Bud Grant, wasn't in the locker room yet, and the team's in there. And big old Burley, you know, Pro Bowl player, Carl Eller, defensive end, part of the pro people leader. Six foot six, 285. Carl Eller. Here's what Carl Eller looks like. He's kind of the, the Ray Lewis of the Vikings in those days. And he, he made the most impassioned halftime speech in Viking history. He grabbed the, he grabbed the blackboard... And he, everyone's just kind of looking down and like they're going to mope around. He throws it down and it breaks into a hundred pieces. And He says, This is not happening. We're not going to, this is not how we play. This team is better. If we get our butts kicked, we're going to get our butts kicked. But let's go down with a fight and play the best game of our lives. And he gives this big impassioned thing and everybody rises up. And then, of course, uh, Coach Bud Grant walks in and he very quietly picks up one of the broken pieces, picks up a piece of chalk, draws a, draws a plan of a couple of plays. He says, no, let's go out and do it. And I love that combination. Sometimes you've got to break the chalkboard. And sometimes you gotta get a plan. You need more than passion, you need a plan. But those two together in your life, you, you, you need to look at your life and break the chalkboard and say, look, life is this, if it went down right now, if you croak today, are you good with how this ends? There's a whole nother half to play. So you need the passion, but you, then you need a plan. Come up with what's gonna be different in my life so I can let the passion out. My friend Chuck he, uh, uh, from church here, he was a CFO, a business guy in the insurance uh, field, um, but but he worked himself into a place where he could work less and he devoted more of his time to Habitat for Humanity and eventually worked full-time there. And then orphans in Africa and incarcerated men helping them re-enter. Here's a guy who let his th- uh, little f- uh, uh, flame get fanned into flame, whatever, you know what I mean. And then... Neil is another guy, he's a carpenter, and when he hit about 50, he said to me one time, he said, yeah, you know, I, I'm just not taking on as many jobs as I used to. I said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. He said, oh, no, no, I'm, that's on purpose. I'm just saying no because I want more time. I don't need as much to live on. I want more time to help people in the church and to do other projects ar- around the community to serve and just just make my, I, I want to just follow my heart more. And, and so he leaves these work trips and he's living out of something that feels closer to what he was put on earth for. I know a surgeon who who takes her vacations to to, to travel uh, and and go to undeveloped countries and and, uh, serve there. I know volunteers who teach all day long in school, but they can't wait to get out of class so they can go and tutor for free afterwards. Dave and Alice sold their home and moved into a retirement community so they could give more generously to Christian causes and and have more time to volunteer and be with their kids and grandkids in a crucial period of their later years. So you see what I'm talking about? So you take these things, you add them all up. Let me just give you kind of some quick takeaways. If I were going to say, if you are 22, you're 42, 62, uh, 82, and you're thinking about, I want the rest of my life to look more like what God meant my life to look like, here's what I would say to you. Let me tick them off for you. Number one, I would say, listen to the still small voice. It's the voice of God. Listen to the still small voice. 1 Kings 19 says, there was a great powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but... God. the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire came a gentle whisper and in Elijah's case and probably in your case that's where you're going to hear the voice of God not in the blustery loud turn up the volume first part of proactivity and frenetic activity in the business of life but in a quieted moment before God where you allow the promptings He's already placed on your heart just to rise up The part of you that knows there's something more. Listen to your life. Listen for the Lord's quiet voice. Take stock of why you're here. Ask what you might be missing right now that you know is truly important. Where does God want you to be in a few years? What gifts and passions has He given you that you need to fan into flame? And the second bit of advice I'd give you is don't retire. Nobody, ever, again, retire. Let's reject the whole concept. It's not even biblical. There's no parable of the retired servant in the Bible. So you can stop working and taking a paycheck if you want to, but the happiest people never retire. They just redirect their energies into new areas of service. Consider it not retirement, but redeployment. Okay, a new assignment. Mark Christopher from church just retired. Oh, man, you can hardly stand him. He's so excited. He's like, I, he, people ask him, what are you doing now? That's the big question. He just says, I'm, just, I'm being a blessing. He's volunteering everywhere. i got to tell Mark, you can't do 75 things, but he'll figure it out. we got a bunch of, we got a bunch of people here at Mountain that we want to talk to. Well, maybe you're one of them that will come and just work on our staff. I don't know if I'll pay you, but you could have a great job here. <laughs> Seriously. Come on. I'll just say when we don't hand you a paycheck, this is all about significance, not success. <laughs> there may come a day when your employer doesn't need you and you don't need them. But listen, you're always useful to God. Always. So maybe it's that encore career that you get paid or unpaid for, I don't know, but get unretired. I like the business leaders that, that go off and teach, or, or Beverly says, I prefer not to think of myself as retired, I've just moved from working for money for working for love. I'm working for love now. She's not retired, she's re-engaged. So you know what, we need to get rid of the word retire. Instead, maybe you just call it retire, R E. Dash, T I R E. When you go to the Indianapolis 500 or the Daytona, those cars scream around the track for all those miles, but then you see it pull off and it pulls into that one thing to have a what, a pit? Right. What do they do? Well, they pour gas in and they put on new. That's a retirement right there. That's what you need, some new treads for the next part of the race. That's all it is. Pull off, but the race isn't over. There's a whole bunch more gunning and running to do. You just get retired, get new treads, and off you go. Next, be a blessing. Be a blessing. It's not about you. All the Wall Street Journal was telling the other day about, about all the, uh, the, the bucket list retirement that's so trendy today. I'm going to go swim with the sharks. I'm going to travel around. I'm going to skydive. I'm going to go fishing more and all this stuff. All these big adventures that we're doing. And it's leading to all these retirees that are disengaged from meaningful relationships and connections. It all wears thin because most of the meaning and joy in life comes for, in what's done for others. So be a blessing. Forget the one-time swim with the dolphins or the diving with the sharks and spend time teaching a kid how to fish or a grandchild how to swim. At the end of the day, everyone's life, you get a choice about what you're ultimately about, me or others. And eventually you get wise like the writer of Ecclesiastes and realize that if you don't choose others, your life's going to stagnate and it's all just... (laughs) A fart in the breeze. So put other people around you and in your life, so you can pour into them. Here's some insight for you. And I'm starting to figure this out. When you stop chasing your own youth and instead pursue people who actually are young and and pour into them and bless them, you find your own fulfillment you thought you were going to find by chasing your own youth. Isn't that interesting? You won't find your fulfillment trying to look or act half your age, but you might find it hanging out with people who are so I got an idea for you you know our epicenter over at Edgewood we got a lot of stuff going on a CPA walked in last week said to David Woods our director can you use me he's like hot dog and he put him to work he's doing he's helping with all these accounts and stuff that's going on volunteering a bunch of time we need grant writers we need people who are skilled at IT and website and social media and human resources and bookkeeping and we need all kind of help here at the church and there you know we got Camp Epic coming up and we're going to another location in Edgewood we're going to be repainting parts of a Presbyterian church over there that's offered to give their facility we need paint supplies we need painters you know here's the number here's info at epicenter at is the website write David and say I'll help with that over the next few weeks just donate a little of your time write that address down and contact him are you in or not let me give you one more live in the light of eternity live in the light of eternity life is short don't miss it don't miss it we're creatures who live eternally This is a blip, a puff of smoke, but our souls are eternal. So begin to think about that. And when you realize that the room we're in feels really large, but if we took the walls off, you'd realize there's a great big world out there. That's how life is. It seems so long, but it's not. You take the walls off of life and you realize, oh my goodness, we're part of eternity. Live with that eternal perspective. Take the walls off of your life. And when you get to the end of your life, you meet your maker and basically there's only two questions. What did you do with Jesus? And then God smiles and says, if you have expressed faith in Christ and put him first and His seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the second one is, what did you do with what I gave you? With the experiences and the gifts and the graces and the pain and all of that. how would you do with it? You know, the first half of your life, you, you, you worry about the books of your business and accounting in ways that will help you make a living. But the second half of your life, you begin to think about your ultimate accounting before God. Because that's what really matters. What you do with your one life. Acts 13, 36. When David, this is King David, when he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, means he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Isn't the Bible eloquent? What a nice summation of a life. He served God in his day. Then he died, then he rotted. Guess what? Two of those happened to everybody. Everybody the dying and rotting part, the only part you get to choose is whether you will serve God in your day and how fully you will do it. Ecclesiastes 7 to close. The writer says, you know, it's better to go to the house of mourning than it is to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. Go to a few funerals, it'll help you. He says it's better than going to a dinner party because at a dinner party it's loud and noisy and it's just like the first part of life. Everyone's obnoxious. But at a funeral you stare at death and in the moments of quiet there you realize that you're going to be the one in the box someday. And that sober reflection about death is actually what can finally help you start living. Let me pray for you. God, we are so grateful for moments of clarity and wisdom where, whether in midlife or young life or old age, we see clearly what truly matters. And we thank you for Jesus and for the invitation to seek first him and his kingdom. We pray that you'll help us to do that with all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.